Well, in today's culture, we love sports. If you are not aware of that, we love sports. And people love to watch sports. They love to watch their favorite sport, cheer for their favorite team. We have channels on TV dedicated to sports, and we have 24-7 sports commentary that happens. And there's something inside of us that kind of loves the story of an underdog. There's something that we just really enjoy about watching someone who wasn't expected to win, who wasn't expected to make a good showing, but they come in, they come from behind, they upset the game, they shock the crowd, and they end up winning. And in 1980, the U.S. men's hockey team wasn't expected to make a great showing at the Winter Olympics that year. Because up until that point, the Soviet Union had dominated this sport. For the past five Olympic Games, the the Soviet Union had won gold. So when the U.S. team came, nobody really expected anything out of them, but they were the true underdogs. And they came in and they shocked everybody, and they ended up beating the Soviet Union that year, and they went on to win gold. And because it was such a shock to everybody, they labeled it the miracle on the ice. And really, it was a moment where nobody expected that to happen, but that year, and at that moment, the U.S. men's hockey team, they fought for their miracle. And we're continuing in the series that we started last week called Miracles in the Middle. Because there's sometimes in life that God shows up in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of where we're at, and the miracle happens in the middle. It doesn't happen at the beginning. It doesn't happen at the end. He shows up in the middle of our circumstances. And so today I want to share with you how do we fight for our miracle? How do we fight for our miracle? And so we're going to look at a story of a man in the Old Testament that you're probably not familiar with. His name was Benaiah. And he's mentioned in two different places in the Bible, and we're going to look at both passages tonight. He was mentioned in 2 Samuel 23 and in 1 Chronicles 11. So feel free to open up your Westover app, open up your Bible app. The notes will be there for you. And we're going to look at both passages. But Benaiah served in King David's army. And he was a soldier in King David's army. And we're going to see how God showed up in the middle of his circumstances and created miracles in his life. So we're going to start in 2 Samuel 23, 20. And it says that, Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel and Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. See, in the middle of his circumstance, God showed up and there was a miracle. And then we go to 1 Chronicles 11, 22, it picks up and it begins to share the story of Benaiah again. It says, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with the club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as, as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. And we see from this story that Benaiah was a great warrior. He performed great exploits. He did great things in King David's army. And because of what he did, then David, King David came and he put him over the bodyguard of all of his bodyguards, but he also put him over all of the mercenaries in the army. 
and because of all that he did and how honored he was by the people, even after King David passed away and died and King Solomon came to the throne, he ended up staying on the court and serving for King Solomon. And he was known as mighty among his people. But I think these two passages give us a clear model of how do we fight for a miracle? When things show up in our life, how do we fight for a miracle? Because we must too fight for our miracles. There is a miracle God has for you in the middle of your circumstance. And somebody needs to hear that tonight. You're in the middle of something, you don't know how it's gonna turn out, but God has a miracle for you. But we have to contend for it and we have to fight for it. So today I wanna share with you three ways we can fight for our miracle. The first is we have to enter the fight. We have to enter the fight. In 1 Chronicles eleven twenty-two, it said, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. You see, Benaiah was a great fighter and a great warrior, but he didn't get there on his own. If you look in 2 Samuel 23, he had an example to follow because it said that he was the son of Jehoiada, a son of a valiant man. Everything he learned, he learned from his father. He watched how his father lived his life and he modeled after that and he ended up becoming valiant himself and he made it into the Bible. See, parents, we must fight our battles. We have to enter the fight. How you fight your battles matter because the battles that you don't fight and you don't win will get passed on to your children. But the battles that you do fight and with God's help win are going to teach your children how to enter and how to fight for their future. We have to enter the fight. See, in Jehoiada and, and, and Benaiah, they lived in a town that was a border town. And this is what taught Benaiah how to enter a fight because in this border town that they lived in at the edge of Israel, they stood on the border with another warring tribe and a warring nation. So they dealt with a lot of skirmishes and the warring nations would come in and try to overtake the land and overtake the territory. So Benaiah lived a life and seeing people stand up for their territory and fight and enter in a fight. When people would come at them into their community, they said, no, you can't come here and they'd have to fight back. And so that is the life that he lived and that is the experience he had growing up. In culture today, they're constantly attacking us as people of faith. They attack us for our morals and our values and our beliefs. And sometimes we need to take a stand and we need to stand and say, no, not here. This is my territory. We have to enter the fight and we have to draw a line and say, not in my family, not in my house. Not here, not my kids. The line is drawn. I'm fighting for my territory. I'm entering the fight. That's how Benaiah grew up and that's what made him valiant. You see, he was mentioned so many times as a valiant soldier. And as a soldier, he probably trained. He didn't become valiant overnight. He was probably the first guy at the gym every morning before anybody else was there. He was pumping iron, he was lifting weights, he probably stayed later than everybody else, and he practiced and he honed his skill for the one moment and the one time he was gonna show up and he was gonna enter the fight. 
And we all know of anybody that's in the military, anybody that's a soldier, you don't get there overnight. It's training and it's drilling over and over and over again. And you drill the same skill over and over again until it becomes second nature and you can almost do it in your sleep. And they'll tell you that they drill hundreds of times for the one moment that they're placed in a battle situation that they don't have to think about it. It comes to them as second nature. We have to train for the fight. We have to be ready when that moment shows up in your life that you can enter in the fight. So how do you train? Consistent spiritual disciplines. See, consistency compounds in your life. Consistency compounds over time. What you do in the small moments matters in the big moments. It prepares you for the big moments. Small faith wins prepare you for big faith battles. Small faith wins every single day prepare you for big faith battles that are coming that you don't see yet. So prepare for when the fight's going to come to you. Build battle-ready behaviors. Flex your faith in the shadows so that you're ready for the spotlight moments. Flex your faith in the shadows when nobody sees you, when you're consistent when nobody sees you. It builds your faith for those moments that are going to come when you're going to have to step out in the spotlight and fight your battle. Because when the tough moments show up, we need to flex our faith every day because it builds our faith and it builds our dependency on God. Consistently see living out God's word in our life builds our spiritual strength and it flexes our spiritual faith. Read scripture and repeat scripture over your life every single day and over your situation because God's word is a powerful weapon. And consistently and faithfully attend church because it's a practice in our life that reminds us that we can't do it alone. That we need to come into the house of God and we need a refilling of his spirit and we need to experience his presence in order to go out and face the day that's coming at us. And when you have a decision to make, pray first. So many times we have a decision to make and so we go and we make the decision we want to make and we don't pray about it. And then when it all falls apart, we come and we pray to God, oh God, save me, please. Save me from the situation I created. But pray first, pray often and pray over everything. Pray over the small things, pray over the big things. Pray over your kids, pray over their school, pray over your mills, but pray over their future and your marriage and your career and the hopes and the dreams that God has for you. When we consistently pray, it builds and it flexes our faith and it strengthens and prepares us for the future faith battles we're gonna have. Enter the fight. The second thing that we can do to fight for our, our miracle is seize every opportunity. Seize every opportunity. In verse 22 of 1 Chronicles, it says, he struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and he struck down an Egyptian. See, Benaiah seized every single opportunity that was presented to him. And that's why there's so many things listed about what he did. Because every single time something showed up, he seized the opportunity. Have you ever, the night before, decided and planned out your next day and all the things that you're going to accomplish? And you sit there and in your mind you're going, tomorrow, I'm going to dominate tomorrow. It doesn't even know what's about to hit it. I've got this. I've got it planned out. I'm going to get up early. 
I'm gonna do my devotionals, I'm gonna go to the gym, I'm gonna drink that protein shake that's gonna make me healthy. When I get to work, I'm gonna be so productive, nobody's gonna know what happened. Tomorrow's mine. And we have it all planned out. But then we wake up the next morning and what happens? Instead of devotionals, it's Instagram. Instead of going to the gym, we hit the snooze button like six times. Instead of that protein shake that we were gonna drink, it's a bean and cheese taco. I mean, let's be honest, we're in San Antonio, it's gotta be breakfast tacos. And then when we get to work, it's kind of like we just stumble through the day and nothing ever gets accomplished and we have no idea what happened. What we have realized and what we need to understand is that there are two potholes to our productivity. There's two potholes to our productivity, procrastination and distractions. Procrastination and distractions. See, procrastination is delaying till later what needs to be done right now. Delaying till later what needs to be done right now. And every parent in here, you know what procrastination is because you have children. And it's like it's genetically ingrained in them to procrastinate for everything. So no matter what you tell them, it's like, go clean your room. Just a minute. Go do this. Okay, in a minute, five minutes. It's time for bed. Can I have one more thing? It's like it just, procrastination lives inside of them. I don't understand it. And then they recently did a study and it said that procrastination is one of the most expensive invisible costs to employers. Because we as employees, when we show up to do something, we procrastinate on it. And so the employee doesn't do the task when they're supposed to do it. We don't accomplish the project when we need to. We don't take, a, we don't take the opportunity and seize the opportunity that's presented. So by the end of the year, it costs the employer thousands of dollars per employee for all the times they procrastinate. Procrastination lives in all of us. The second pothole that we experience with productivity is distractions. We live a life of distractions. Today's culture, today's media climate is meant to distract you all the time. I mean, just think about it. Your phone, you probably get about 150 notifications a day on your phone, average, right? And each of those are meant to be a distraction to you. Have you ever like gone to your phone with the express purpose to actually accomplish something and do a task? And you go to your phone to pick it up because you're gonna do something. And all these notifications are there that you didn't see. And so you start looking at every notification and you're clearing through them and you need to see what somebody said on Instagram. And you need to see what they did on Facebook. And then you gotta answer that text and then a group thread started and you missed all of that. And then you gotta answer the email. And so by the time you've cleared all of your notifications, you have absolutely no idea what you went to your phone for. It's gone, you're like, what? And you're staring at the screen, what am I supposed to be doing? Distractions live every day and we can just live a life of distractions. I mean, married couples, do you remember the first time you met your spouse? The first time you saw them, I mean, wasn't it a distraction for you? I mean, the first time Jonathan met me, I mean, I distracted him so much. <laughs> but when we first were wanting to hang out and be together, it's all we wanted to do. We were new, we were exciting, and so we wanted to hang out, we wanted to talk on the phone all the time. And this was back when, which wasn't that long ago, because I'm not that old, and when you would actually have to monitor your phone plans. So for any millennials or Gen Z in here that don't know about this, we used to not have unlimited plans. 
So you had to actually monitor your minutes because if you went over your minutes, oh my goodness, the phone bill. So we would plan on when we talk to each other and we're like, call me at 9.01. <laughs> because that's when your night minutes kicked in and it was unlimited. And then if you could just hold off to Friday at nine, then you've got the weekend minutes and it's a whole other ball game. You can, so much talking can happen on the phone. We were such a distraction to each other at that time, but you can just live a life of distractions. So how do you overcome procrastination and distractions? You have to focus on why power over willpower. Why power over willpower? See, willpower is the intention to do something. It's, oh, I want to start a new habit. I want to start a, a Bible reading plan. I want to start doing these healthy habits. But it's only the intention of. Why power is when you understand the reason why you need to do it. It's when you see the bigger picture and you understand the purpose behind the decision, the reason why you need to seize that opportunity and why it's so important. Why power is what you have to hold on to because God's gonna give you opportunities and we have to seize them, but you have to understand the why power behind it. So what distractions or procrastinations keep you from seizing your opportunities? See, some opportunities and some battles are opportunities in disguise. See, Benaiah, every single thing that came against him was a battle, but he didn't see it at the time that it was an opportunity, but he went ahead and seized the opportunity that was in front of him. It looked like a battle, but it was God's opportunity to show up in the situation and for a miracle to happen. Benaiah seized every opportunity that was presented to him. He killed the two mightiest warriors of a warring tribe. He killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. He got in the middle of it. And then when the Egyptian came, he killed him too. See, God is gonna send you opportunities to grab a miracle. And as we walk out our faith, moments are going to show up. And you need to pray that God would give you an awareness to see the opportunities that he has for you. In the workplace, there will be moments to stand up and speak up for your faith and your beliefs. Seize the opportunity. In your parenting, there are gonna be moments to speak biblical values into your children and speak over their life. Seize that opportunity. Seize every opportunity to bring them to church. Take a stand. And every opportunity builds our strength and our confidence in God. But you might be in the middle of a situation right now and you say, you know what? That sounds good, but I've been praying for my miracle. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. And I keep saying, God, when are you going to show up in my situation? When is my miracle going to happen? Well, sometimes the miracle only happens when you get in the middle of the pit and you fight it out. Some miracles only happen when we get in the middle of it, we engage it, and we do our part. That's when God shows up and the doors open to opportunities that weren't there before. We have to be active participants and not passive observers. We have to be active participants to our miracles and not passive observers. Some miracles require our participation. So if there's financial stress in the home and you don't know how you're gonna overcome it, Seize every opportunity to honor God with your finances and tithe, and God will open up the door of miracles in your life. Maybe there's conflict in a relationship, 
and you don't know how it's gonna be restored and you're not sure what to do, seize every opportunity to restore that relationship and show the love of God in that person's life, even when you don't feel like in it and it doesn't seem fair. Seize every opportunity. The third thing we can do for us to fight for our miracle is we can operate in God's strength. We have to operate in God's strength. Verse 23 said, he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. See, in this moment, it wasn't a fair match. The Egyptian was five cubits tall. That is equivalent to about seven and a half feet. Can you imagine going up against an opponent that was taller than Tim Duncan? I mean, you're outmatched. He's stronger, he's bigger, he's more capable than you are. And then the Egyptian has a spear, which is better equipment than what Benaiah had. He has a spear, which means he can engage his opponent from a further distance and he can attack him from a further distance. Benaiah only has a club which means his club and his weapon only works in close proximity. But see, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter that he's out, outmatched, that the person is bigger than him, that they have better equipment. In that moment, Benaiah didn't operate in his strength. He operated in God's strength. And he took the weapon that the enemy planned to use against him and he turned it on him. In that moment, he operated in God's strength. And he remembered, there was a time I was up against two people, two warriors from another tribe, and I won. And it was two against one. That didn't seem fair, but God showed up then. And there was this other time that I was in the middle of a pit, and there was a lion there, and I killed the lion. Now, I wasn't supposed to kill the lion. That wasn't supposed to happen, but God showed up there. So now there's an Egyptian who's bigger, stronger, more equipped, but it doesn't matter because God is going to fight my battle for me. I don't operate in my strength. I operate in God's strength. It reminds me of Genesis 50 where it says, what the enemy intended for evil, God's going to turn for good. And God intends to work good in your situation because God's will is always stronger than the enemy's weapons. God's will in your life is always going to be stronger than the enemy's weapons. So it doesn't matter that it looks like everything is going to fall apart or that you don't know how it's gonna work out, or maybe you feel depleted and overwhelmed. We are never going to win the battle in our strength. We have to win the battle in God's strength. And God's will in your life is bigger than what the enemy is trying to use against you. See, what strikes me about this story with Benaiah is that he takes the weapon of the enemy and he uses it against him. And sometimes we need to take the weapon of the enemy and turn it on him. See, Satan, before he was kicked out of heaven, he was the worship leader of heaven. He led all of the angels in worship to God, but something happened in Satan's heart and he got kicked out of heaven. And then later he saw the relationship between man and God. And he wanted to disrupt that and the worship that was happening between the two because he knew that worship was such a powerful weapon. And so he said, if I can just break the worship connection, the battle's won. And so he began to, to lie and deceive us. And we began to turn our worship, not from God, but to our preferences, to culture, to our own desires. 
And when we get our heart off of God, the battle's lost because see, worship is our weapon. It's how we fight our battles. Worship is the weapon that we use to fight our battles because in worship, we get access to the Holy Spirit and we gain access to God and we get access to his strength and we get access to his peace and we get access to all the things that we're needing in our situation. See, even when I don't feel like worshiping, sometimes I'll walk in here and I feel overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I've had a bad day. Certain circumstances are going on in my life. But every time I enter into worship, every single time, God imparts in me and gives me everything I need. So when I walk out, I'm prepared. Worship is our weapon. And so today as we close, I wanna invite you to stand. And we had such a powerful worship moment just a few minutes ago. And the worship team is gonna be leading us in just a moment in a corporate worship as we end. But some of you today, the enemy has stolen your joy and he's stolen your song. And you have been feeling and you've been fighting a battle for so long. And you don't have joy, you don't have peace, and you feel like you've lost your passion for God. You used to walk into the house of worship and when worship would start, you'd enter in and you'd lift up your hands and tears would roll down your cheeks and you felt God's presence and you're saying, I haven't felt that in so long and I need a miracle. And if that's you, if the enemy has stolen your song, you need a breakthrough, you need a miracle in your circumstance. As the worship team leads us, I wanna invite you to come forward and worship in the altar. Let worship be your weapon to fight for your miracle. Worship team. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. Yeah. This is how I find my battles. We are gonna fight tonight. I said we are gonna fight tonight. I said we are gonna fight tonight against the enemy. Are there any fighters in this place tonight? Are there any fighters in this place tonight? Come on, sing it out. Every voice, every heart. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. No matter what's in front of me. This is how I fight my battles. No matter what the doctor says. This is how I fight my battles. No matter if my spouse is about to walk out on me. This is how I fight my battles. No matter that sickness is trying to take a hold of me. This is how I fight my battles. Yeah. This is how I fight my battles. Here we go. 
indulge me for just a moment, will you grab the person next to you right now? Or hold their shoulder or grab their hand? You see, right after worship today, we were in the back and our worship team was praying together. We were worshiping together. And, and, and we began to talk about what is God doing in this place? And Jessica, everybody say, hi, Jessica. She began to say something very, very interesting. She said, and I'm paraphrasing, but something happened in Acts chapter two, when they were all gathered together, together. Somebody say together. We like to say we are better, what? Together. Something happens when we come together. You see, there's power in worship. But when worship rises from people that are united together, there is nothing that is impossible for God. So today, I want you to lift up that hands. I want you to lift up those hands together. We're going to fight for each other tonight. Come on. Just begin to pray for your neighbor right now. Just begin to pray for your neighbor right now. Say, God, I declare healing for the person next to me. Come on, begin to pray. Begin to pray. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Everybody sing. It may love. It may look like I'm surrounded. Oh, oh, oh. It may look 
can never walk out the same once you've experienced God's presence. Grab a hold of what he gave you and use it to fight your battle. Whatever your circumstances, God can do a miracle in it. God has a miracle for you. Fight for your miracle. God, we thank you today for who you are. God, we thank you because you are the God of miracles. God, you are the one who's faithful when no one else is. God, you're the one who shows up in those moments, God, when we don't know what's going to happen, that you are so faithful in our lives. And I pray today that you would just deposit your word, your truth, your encouragement to your people, that they would walk out different than when how we came in. Bless them, Lord, that you would work the miracle in their life today. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you were with us today. Thank you for being with us. If you need additional prayer, our prayer team is going to be available for you. Go in the love of God. You are dismissed.